For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Everyone knows that angels are something to behold. Every time they show up in the scriptures, people usually ended up on the ground in awe. Many in the first century were so taken up with these heavenly beings that they began to worship them. Here now in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer explains why Jesus is superior to them. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, King of Angels. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews, chapter 1, where we've begun a brand new book in the New Testament to study verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we just got through the first opening three verses, but what an opening three verses uh, they were. And so if you miss the overview of Hebrews, I highly recommend you either go online or get our, uh, through our app uh, Uh, or iTunes and hear that one because it'll help the rest of the epistle of 13 chapters to make more sense. Hebrews chapter one, we're gonna pick up around uh, verse four. Now, Heavenly Father, we always like to pause and acknowledge your great presence among us. It just isn't story time or reading from some secular book, but this book is alive. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. It's your living word. It's active and working, supernatural, God-breathed. And so we honor that, Lord. We know it didn't have its origin in any man, but from heaven, God breathes life. And we have it here this morning. Help us to open up and hear what the Spirit is saying so we can be transformed and be a blessing and be more of a blessing to you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we know, there are a couple weeks left uh, before Christmas. We've got 10 more shopping days, 10 more days. If you include today, you've got 11. Now, we we started a new book uh, for Sunday mornings, as I've mentioned, uh, and we're going to continue and pick up here where we left off. Uh, When we pick up, we're going to find that the subject of angels comes front and center, a very fascinating topic indeed. Now, angels play a very important role in God's work from cover to cover. They are mentioned uh, uh, 96 times in the New Testament and 103 times in the Old, so about 100 times in each testament uh, they are seen doing God's work. And, and so Christmas, of course, I mean, the opening narrative starts with who? Who else? But angels. Uh, Gabriel gives John the Baptist's father heads up on the role that John is going to play his son. Gabriel, the angel, is sent to Nazareth to talk to Mary and tell her her surprising role in Christmas. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will give birth to the Son of the Most High God. He will reign forever. An angel, of course, has to assure Joseph in a dream because he's struggling with the news that Mary brings to him. And wouldn't it you? I mean, can you imagine that conversation? How did that go? Uh, Mary says to him, uh, Joseph, I'm, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. No wonder the the Lord was like, quick, get an angel. (laughs) We got to get down there. Yeah, because he planned, he said, you know, I'm not going to say you're an adulteress because he was a merciful, God-fearing man. So he he was going to divorce her. And that's when the Lord says, hey, Gabriel, set him straight. And so Gabriel, an angel, here we go, uh, is sent and dispatched and, and lets him know that he doesn't need to panic. And it doesn't stop there. You know, nine months later, who do we see lighting up the skies of Bethlehem but a host of angels? And of course, it's an angel that tells Joseph to flee to Egypt because of the murderous rage of Herod. And when Herod dies and it's safe to bring the Messiah back to the homeland, an angel goes and lets Joseph know that. Angels minister to Jesus throughout his lifetime. 
you know, during the 40 days when he's in the wilderness and Mark's gospel adds, and the wild animals, he's out there with that wildest of all animals, the devil himself, and uh, angels minister to him during that time, we are told. And there in the garden as our savior sweats drops of blood as he contemplates the anxiety of the cross that the sins of the world would be put on his sinless human shoulders as a sin sacrifice. And we're told angels ministered to him and strengthened him in the garden. And Jesus spoke of angels. And uh, Jesus said to Peter when Peter panicked in Gethsemane when they came to arrest him. And he took out a sword and he, and he swiped at Malchus, one of the guards there, and actually, actually cut his ear off. And um, the Lord said, Peter, Peter, don't you know that I have access to 12 legion of angels at my word? 72,000 angels, militant angels, heavenly, divine, uh, dazzling, supernaturally powerful angels. Peter, put your sword away. This is supposed to happen this way. This is God's plan, Peter. But the angels were involved. And who shows up on Resurrection Sunday morning? Angels, dazzling, with a message, uh, with a message. Hey, what are you looking for? A dead person in the place? Uh, or where are you looking for a living person in the place where you put dead people? He's not here, he's risen. Says the angel giving instructions, they're rolling away the stone. And 40 days later, Jesus is ascending and the disciples are kind of heartbroken. There he goes, you know, they're kind of confused. And one of the angels say, the angels say, hey, guys, why so disheartened? This same Jesus, he'll be back in the same glorious way which you see him going. Yeah, so angels, the early church, angels, they're everywhere. What are they doing? Various jailbreaks. Angels are responsible. <laughs> well, there was more than one. Remember the apostles in, in, in Acts chapter 5? Uh, an angel freed them. And then Peter, you know, Peter kept preaching. They told him, don't, hey, you know, stop preaching in that name. And Peter's like, that's going to happen. You know, so he gets hauled in and they shackle him between like 16 guards. Like, you're not getting away this time. And uh, God sends an angel that just the gates open for him. And the, the thing, the, he, had a, he had to elbow him to wake him up. You know, it says he struck Peter on the side. Like, go, wake up, quit snoring. Hey, we've got things to do. Let's go. That's so awesome. That's an angel. That's an angel. There was an angel on the sinking ship there in the Mediterranean. Paul sees an angel. An angel says, hey, no worries, Paul. Nobody dies on this vessel. He would know. He stands before the presence of God. So angels are a big deal. I could go on. Uh, but cover to cover, they're seen helping, protecting, informing. They're really servants of God who carry out his purposes. And, and they're actually, anytime you, they show up in their glory, I mean, anybody who sees them uh, basically ends up on the ground quaking with fear, even if you are a Roman centurion. There I'm speaking in the garden tomb. So they're magnificent beings, but that's the problem here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter one. They are dazzling and they're dazzle, their power, their prominence, their bling, their, their intrigue. Um, the first century... Christians got their eyes off Jesus and fell in love with angels. There's a whole religion involving worshiping angels. And who was tempted to do it more than the Hebrews? Because the idea of angels was unknown of in the Roman world. Where did they get the idea of angels? From the Jews, from the Old Testament. From the Hebrew scriptures introduced the whole concept of angels. Nobody else knew about angels. And so if anybody had trouble, you know, uh, adoring angels, it were these Jews who were having a hard time now that they're believers. And so the, the whole purpose of Hebrews, as you'll recall, is um, to, he's on a mission to these Hebrew Jews who are Christians now, 
uh, who, who they're having a hard time and they want to go backwards. They want to go back to comfortable life, things they're familiar with, with family gatherings and Jewish holidays and Moses and David and angels. Angels were a part of it. Uh, you weren't a good Jew if you did that, but you know, uh, those kinds of secular thoughts and false teachings were, were present there. And so Colossians chapter 2, Paul has to tell the Colossian church, stop worshiping angels. You see, so it was a big deal. And that's really what the problem is here. So in context, verse 1 through 3, uh, uh, the writer holds up the prophets of the Old Testament and says, then holds up Jesus in those first three verses and says, hey, Moses is great, but he didn't create the world. Jesus did. So get your eyes off of Moses. There's nothing back there for you. There's nothing back there. There's a message for everybody. When you're under the gun and you're having second thoughts about Jesus and your walk with him, there's nothing back there for you. You've found life. You've found God. You've got everything you need. Continue to go forward. That's the message. Now, he's done with the prophets. Now, they've got this thing about angels. We're going to go back, and we're going to just worship the angels a lot easier. And he says, uh, no, I've got something to tell you about that. Let's pick up one at one. There are only three verses, and then four and five and six is where we're starting. In the past, God spoke to our, our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. And in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining. Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. And Jesus had provided uh, purification for sins. And after he did that, he sat down on the right hand on the throne there in the presence of the majesty of God the Father in heaven. Okay, verse four is new territory. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father, quote Psalm 2, verse 7. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son, 2 Samuel seven fourteen. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And that is Psalm 97 and verse 7. So let's pause there. And we have that here for you to reflect upon. Uh, Paul, or the writer, the pastor of these Hebrews, is writing. And he's now going to use seven Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus is God from the Old Testament because that's what they care about. Hey, yeah, you know, we're Jews. We bought into Christ. And yes, we accept the New Testament as it's being written. But boy, our hearts are in the Old Testament scripture. So he says, fine, I'll, I'll show you why Jesus is superior, that he's God, and I'll use your own scripture. So he's going to take seven scriptures. You just heard three of them. Those are three Old Testament scriptures. Wherever it says, where it says, and there's a quote that's coming from what we call the Old Testament. And his whole point is, this, listen, we're going <laughs> to, he's got a better name because his name is Son, and that, that son name means God. Now, we talked about this. One through three just showed, listen, there's no way out of it. You cannot read Hebrews 1 and, and come away with, with anything less than Jesus is almighty God. He sustains the power of the, the, he sustains the universe by the power of his word. Through him, all things are created. He's the heir to all things. He provided the only way for the sins of the world to be forgiven. And he's sitting on a throne in heaven. Well, you can't say that about any. And, and by the way, before we even dive in here, of course he's got a superior name. Who else were you expecting to come and save the world? Who else were you expecting who, who will create a new earth and new heavens and transform human beings from evil sinners into, into God-reverent, obedient uh, People who want to love God. Who, who were we expecting? Who were the Jews expecting? A man, a good prophet, a moral example? 
Who's going to save the world? It has to be the God-man. And Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7, 700 years earlier, not only will he come through a virgin, but his name will be called Wonder-Filled Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who are you expecting? Of course Jesus had to be fully human and fully God. He didn't have a father. The Holy Spirit came through a human womb and out came God inside a human body. That's who he is. And Hebrews 1 through 3 give us seven credentials. You cannot make the universe and hold it all together and just be a nice guy. Amen? Can't have more than that. And it's not like he didn't prove it when he was here. I mean, anybody who can walk on water, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm the light of the world. If any man believes in me, you'll never walk in darkness. Hey, I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the bread of heaven. Anybody eat of this bread, your deepest, longest uh, uh, longings will be satisfied. I'm the living water. Anybody could say that. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. But then when you start walking on water, and then somebody says, hey, can I try that too? And you go, yeah, come on out. And then he can walk on water too. If he can look at somebody who was born blind and say, open your eyes and take a look. Who are you looking at? It's me, the son of man, the son of God. If you can do those things and cast 2,000 demons into a herd of swine, then we got to listen. The almighty God came through the womb of a virgin. And we have to deal with Jesus as God. I mean, I was reading earlier about when Peter struck the, the, um, the head. He wanted to kill him, but he's a bad shot too. And he slices off this guy's ear. And then Jesus, I mean, how did that look? Jesus picks up the ear. He's being arrested on the night he's betrayed. Peter goes, Oh, I missed it. But flop. It flops down on the ground. How does it look? I, I just can't. Jesus said, hold on. Picks it up. It's holding an ear. Yeah. Hold, hold your head in the light. Give me a little. You know, sorry. Nobody stops. Nobody says a word. Nobody says, whoa, I think we got the wrong man. <laughs> Malchus says, that feels a lot better. <laughs> yeah, he pulls on it, see if it's going to hold. It holds. Come on, who were we expecting? Who can say all of these things and be all of these things? Hebrews 1 through 3 says, when you say son, you're talking about God in a human body. So he says, let's talk about the angels. And he says, first of all, that he's got a better name. He's got a superior name. But what I want to point out to you is that since Jesus is the God-man, you will run into scriptures that emphasize his manhood because he's fully man. He's got blood that flows. He has to eat to live. He's a man. But he's also fully God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, Ah, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father inside that human body. And you're going to find language that those who denounce Jesus as God, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they go to verses like these where I've emphasized them for you, italicized them, and they say, see, Jesus was, a, was just a man. Yeah, we know he was just a man. But did you read verses one through three where he created the universe and holds it together by the powerful, power of his word? Who does that? Just the man? Don't get confused. There are verses that go with the humanity of Christ and those that show the divine side. Here's the humanity. He's inheriting a name, right? Or, or again, I've, he's becoming the son Right Or there's another place in Hebrews where he says he was made perfect through his sufferings. Well, that's how a Jehovah's Witness will go to that. 
He wasn't God because he had to be made perfect. I thought God was always perfect. Ah, in his humanness, in his humanness, he's limited. He's a weak human being. He has to eat. He gets the flu. If he bangs down with a hammer, he hurts his hand. He cannot be everywhere at once. He's emptied himself. He's dependent. That is why he can say things like, you know, right now, the Father's greater than I. Of course the Father. And they go to that verse. You see, he's not equal with God. In his humanity, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. Let me show you the verse. I'll clear this up. Philippians chapter 2. Who, hello, being in the very nature God. He's God, Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't run around saying it and using it for his advantage. Rather, he empties himself, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. If you're made in human likeness, you were something before that, right? So God gets made, stamped in the flesh, and out comes the perfect exact representation of his being. Verse 3 of Hebrews. Being made in human likeness and being found as appearance of a man... He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He's able to say, hey, I'm dependent on God the Father in my human form. When is the kingdom of God coming? When are you going to appear? Hey, the Father knows. The angels know. Do not know. And I do not know. See? He doesn't know everything. Can't be God. He's a human being who emptied himself out. He laid his divinity aside. And in that sense, he is inheriting, he is becoming, because when he finishes his work paying for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world, he then comes in to obtain that which was his before he took on a human body. He was before all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. His words, Revelation chapter 1. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. Interestingly enough, Yahweh uses that of himself in Isaiah 44. Yahweh says, listen up, Jews. I am the only God, Yahweh. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus, after he's glorified, Revelation chapter 1. Listen up. I'm the living one. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and I hold the keys to everything. And he says, I, was, I am the first and the last. Same words. And so there he is. That's what we're, it's just in case you're wondering, how does he become something? Well, he was the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so he was there in the beginning. What did he tell the Jews when they said, hey, you know what? You're always talking about God the Father, God the Father. You know who's our father? Abraham. Abraham's our father. And he said, speaking of Abraham, Abraham saw all everything go down and he saw me and he was happy. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. And you say, you know, Abraham, Abraham's seen you. You've seen Abraham. He says, well, I'll tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, it's the I am of God. When God says, I am that I am, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, to Moses, I am that I am. He's using the title and saying, hey, you're talking about Abraham who lived 2,000 years ago? Before he existed, I am. Not I existed before him. I've always existed before him and everybody else. So Jehovah's Witness, please, don't go to this verse and say, see, he's becoming. He's being made perfect. He existed. He's being made perfect in his humanness because he's a human being who's offering himself for the sins of the world. Let's go on. Move on. I think I've made that point. <laughs> Though I am tempted to try to make it some more. Next verse here. So he became as much superior to the angels, because he has a superior name, right? Um, oh, we're still here. So, so he just, let's conclude with that. He has a better name. His name 
is son. In fact, why don't you go back there because I have one last thing to say about being the son. And he has a superior name. And that name is son. Now, listen. When Jesus uses the term, he is the son of God, it's very different than calling anybody else a son of God. Worlds apart. And let me show you what I mean by that. Uh, there I have a couple verses that just show the distinction here. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only son, the only begotten son, who is at the father's side, has made him known. And then again, John 5.15, for this reason, they try to kill him all the more to kill him, not only because he's breaking the Sabbath. And let me remind you what, what that meant. On Saturday, you're not supposed to work, right? So the Pharisees said, oh, we'll tell you what work is. Work is if you bend over and pick something up that weighs more than a dried fig, you're working and you're breaking the Sabbath. Jesus just rolled his eyes, you know. So what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He sees a guy laying there on a stretcher and he, he looks at him and he says, man, do you, wanna, do you, do you even want to get better? And the guy figures out what he's talking about. He says, ah, get up and pick up your mat and go home. So he stands up, bouncing around, dancing, leaping for joy, and he picks up his little stretcher and carries it home. The Pharisees see him carrying what weighs more than a dried fig on Saturday. And instead of seeing the ankles that are working, <laughs> they see the mat that's being carried and say, you're breaking the Sabbath. And then he says, the guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat. Who is he? I don't really know. So later on in the story, he finds out. But anyway, <laughs> just filling you in there. Uh, uh, not only was he breaking their rules, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Do you see the difference? The way Jesus spoke was not about relationship like we speak. Well, the way Jesus spoke about being the son was replication. God's nature. I am born of God himself. I'm the incarnation of God. I am the son. I am the imprint of God. I'm God like him. I'm the son. You see? There's a big difference. I don't know if you catch things like this, like when the angel says to uh, Mary, go tell the boys that uh, I'm ascending. I'm ascending to my God and to your God and to... and to my father and to your father. A big difference between God the son's relationship with God the father and ours as a son or a child of God. Do you get that? Then the last verse here of the first section. Very good. Let all God's angels worship him. Now, here, here's what he's saying. Guys, Hebrews, listen, uh, when someone worships somebody, isn't it obvious that they're uh, confessing that they are inferior to that which they are worshiping, which is superior because it goes inferior worships superior. So if God's angels are called and they love to do it, they're worshiping <laughs> higher and you're foolishly worshiping them. Follow them. You're worshiping something inferior and we're supposed to only worship the Lord. Now we're ready to go on. Verse 7. In speaking of the angels, now continuing, he makes his uh, angels winds, his servants flames of fire. He's talking about the, the angels. But about the sun, he says, catch this, your throne, O God, <laughs> Jesus, God, your throne, Jesus, Old Testament, will last forever and ever. Righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Now, so now we're going to take a look at that. Now, the big, uh, the big title here is that he's equal to God. Your throne, O oh God. And so, um, here we are. Oh, good, I found it. <laughs> oh, the second uh, title would be the job description 
of the angels versus the job description of the Son of God. So Jesus has a superior position. Phew. All right. So uh, without diminishing, so you, let's take the look. He, he's saying, here's what angels do. Here's what the Son does and is. All right. So you're so enamored. Uh, here's what they are. Not to diminish the angels because they're pretty great beings. Uh, he says, they are like hurricane winds and big torches of fire. And not to diminish them, but they are the, 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 mer- the messenger boys of heaven. Really, that's what they are. Their, what does their, their word mean? Angel. It means messenger. They carry out God's will. They run errands. They deliver the mail. They re- restrain evil. They are heaven's helpers. Now, that said, I mean, flames of fire and the wind is his servants. They serve him. That's who they are. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're unbelievable. There's a, there's a picture of an angel in the book of Revelation during the tribulation when the earth is dissolving the way God predicts it will. He makes a new one. But the heavens disappear. They roll up like a scroll. And the earth is going to give way after Armageddon, the last battle. Right, so he's he he he's saying to them, uh, "Oh, in that scenario, you have an angel, a mighty angel. He's got one foot planted on a mountain and one foot planted on the sea. He's big. He's a big boy. All right. So, uh, but he's not the son of God. He didn't make the earth. He doesn't fill time and space. He's not the eternal wonder without a beginning and without an end." They're glorious. Hebrew people, yes, they're wonderful. They serve the Lord. They dazzle. They're breathtaking, but they're not the Son of God because who is the Son of God? God the Father calling God the Son, the throne. He sits on a throne. They serve the throne. So he's, he's kind, of, uh, kind of throwing it back up in the air uh, for them to understand. You've got a servant of a throne and you've got somebody seated on a throne. I like this verse here. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, the Father, God the Son, has set you above. Your companions can mean the angels. Everybody else in heaven, right? Now, what about that? God's moral nature was never compromised. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He always has, and he always will. Not so the angels. A third of them followed head angel Lucifer, who becomes the devil. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, read about his fall. He looked in the mirror one day and said, man, you are beautiful. And you know what happened? He becomes the devil, right? Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. The dragon serpent devil. His tail sweeps a third of the stars. We're already told who the stars are. They're the angels. A third of the stars get knocked out of heaven and fall to the earth. So how many angels there are, numbers like innumerable or myriads. So they're a finite number, but they're, let's just call it a, a gazillion, all right? <laughs> Which funny thing is, is a word. I didn't know that was a word. <laughs> it's a word. There's a gazillion times a gazillion. There's an end number, but there's a lot of them. But there's a third less of them. And they're not still falling. That was like it was an open enrollment period. <laughs> I don't know where I come up with these. Let's stick with the main thing here. Your throne, oh God, therefore God, your God. Who's talking here? I thought there was only one God. Well, let me tell you about that. It's called the Trinity, and it just means that God expresses himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. There is one God, but it gets a little complicated, and heaven will be able to do the math. But I think I can be a little bit helpful here. Uh, What's going on here, really, it starts with the Jews with the Shema. The Shema is a prayer. 
that the Jews recite, the observant ones recite in the morning and the evening. And they start off with Deuteronomy 6.4 that says this, and, and I'll do it, I'll transliterate it for the actual Hebrew, okay? Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God's, plural, the Lord is one. The gods, our gods, is one. He could have put El, he put Elohim. God is called Elohim in the Old Testament. It's the plural form of gods. And every time Elohim is used, a singular verb is used. So it doesn't say the gods are. It says the gods is. That's awesome. What is it telling Israel? There's a Godhead. Let us Make man in our image. And then singular verbs. Something's going on. It's the God family. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's one being. Now let me give you something that'll help you with that. Let us make man in our image. Up from the ground comes a triune being. I have a body. I have a spirit. And I have a soul. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, where Paul says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. My body's not my spirit. My spirit's not my soul. My soul's not my body. Distinct three things, but I'm one. I'm three, I'm one. I do not go around going, you know, my body really likes ice cream, but you know, my soul is a whole nother thing. You know, I don't do that. I don't talk in we. I don't say that. You know, I said, yes, we would like to come over. Who, 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 you and Barb? No, me, we. You know, I, I don't do that. Why? Not that I'm not three, because I am three. And, and you know what, folks? You try to separate me, and you get a dead person. You cannot separate them. So the Jews say, we have the Father. And Jesus says, you can't have the Father without the Son or the Holy Spirit. It's a package deal. You separate us, you got a dead person. You separate them, you don't have a God. You can't have just God the Father because there's God the Son and there's God the Holy Spirit. And that, that always helps me. Okay, come on, when he's baptized, here he is, the Son. And who's giving testimony? God the Father, a voice thunders from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then where, where's the third one? He descends in a bodily form, it says, in a physical way. A dove representing the Holy Spirit comes and alights upon him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. That's how you can have verses like this. Your throne, O God, you have loved righteousness. Therefore, God, God the Father. Now, if you could just tell a Jehovah's Witness, can I show you a place where Jehovah is calling Jesus God? Would you believe that he's more than Michael the archangel? The Jehovah's Witnesses worship him as Michael the archangel. The Mormons call him a cherub. Jesus is a cherub who was related to Lucifer. Now, they don't like to say that on their first initial visit. But <laughs> do some research. Do some research. I'm sorry if you are a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness who we have a soft spot here for. So we love them. We want them to come to the knowledge of the truth, to know God and for who he is. But if you can read Hebrews 1 and they're studiers, both of them are studiers. If you can get past Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3 only, and come away worshiping Jesus as a cherub or Michael the archangel, then all the consequences are upon your own shoulders because God makes it very clear. He's got a superior name and he has a superior position. It's called God. It's called God, the God man. Granted, it's tough to see how he could be fully human and fully God. 
But you know, if you add up all the stuff, you hear the claims, you see how he uh, validates the claims, you hear the Old Testament, the Old Testament's really down with that. And it's been telling us the whole time, one is coming who will be called mighty God. So that's awesome. So uh, therefore, he's got the superior name because he holds a superior position. Let's finish the chapter. You know, what I love about this pastor who's writing a sermon, and this is a sermon, is is that he just won't give up. That's what I like. A pastor just keeps going and hammering and hammering and hammering and just can't start to find the stop button. You think that's enough. Like, hey, okay, okay, oy vey, no more angels, no more angels. But no, he's not done with them. He's one last shiv. He also says, Hebrews, in the beginning, oh Lord, he's calling, oh Lord Jesus. That is a reference in the Old Testament. He's applying it to Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Well, I already heard that, verses one through three. They will perish, but you, Jesus, remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe and give it to goodwill. <laughs> sorry, or the, whoops, sorry, in the mission down the street that we support. I didn't mean goodwill. Yeah, they will <laughs> Uh, they're laughing in the coffee shop right now because that's where Joey and Julie are and they, they support the mission thrift store. All right. Moving on, as, a, as your body language is telling me to do, <laughs> you will roll them up like a robe and we are talking about planets there, but you remain the same and your ear, years will never end. And by the way, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And now the last sentence, he just says, hey, can we just define what they are? They are ministering spirits, helper, helping spiritual beings who are God sends to serve us who are inheriting salvation. And so the last part here, just wonderful. You have the three points now. Jesus has a superior name. Right, Because he holds a superior position and he possesses a superior nature, he is eternal. So here's what he's saying. The Lord was before creation and all of creation as we know it will dissolve. It's getting old. It's getting really old. And by the end, 2 Peter chapter 3 says the earth and the solar system will melt away in a blast of fire. That's what's coming. That's why we get a little crazy here because we want to make sure everybody's in the lifeboat because that's what's going to break out. God promises it to be true. So he's saying Jesus existed before the physical world. The physical world is getting old and decaying a little bit like Judaism. Judaism did its job. Now you want to go back to like the old garment when you've got a new garment and a new life in Christ. The material world is dissolving into king. God, Jesus is gonna wrap it up and say, hey, let's make a new one. And he does. He makes a new universe and a new heaven where, where sin has never been uncorrupted. And then at the end of all that, where, what do you have? You have Jesus again. So he's saying, listen, he is the one without beginning and without end. He is the eternal one. Last verse here, when I, I do love the PS, because Psalm 110, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's saying, honestly, anyone who opposes this son, this God, are going to make a good Ottoman for him. <laughs> you can't oppose the son and live to talk about it. And look at the descriptive language of the Bible. These aren't my words, Ottoman. That's what it means. Is it's that all things are working together to subdue the enemies of truth and righteousness, the scriptures, God's people, and God himself. That's just the way it's going to happen. And then he sums up and he says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Now, they take on human form. They can look like us. 
male, female, because later in chapter 13, he's gonna say, hey, you better watch your attitude because there are angels among us. They worship with us, 1 Corinthians 11. They're here. And he says, you, you don't always know it. He says, a few of you have entertained them unaware that they were actually an angel. So they, we've had encounters. That's what the Bible's saying. And so he's just summing up what they do. Now, I like to share an encounter that I had that, that kind of stacks up as an angelic visitation. You, you can decide in your own mind. Most of you know the story because it's the most uh, dramatic, supernatural thing that's ever happened to me. I'll tell you about it. When I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, and it resisted treatment, I had uh, five months of chemotherapy, failed. One month of radiation, failed. They say, you have a 30% chance of surviving now. We'll try to give you a bone marrow transplant. So I got ready for a bone marrow transplant, but I didn't know what was going to happen. 30% odds. I was listening to a sermon, driving in the car, and it was um, David, um, Charles Stanley, David, thank you. I saw you, I said David, and then you got the Charles. Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley's preaching a sermon about facing Goliath. I'm driving along, I'm crying because I'm raw, I think I'm dying. I'm picturing who's going to parent my children and who's going to marry my wife. And I just picture some tall dude with a lot of hair. So sad. So he says, hey, listen up. He says, and Charles Stanley will repeat it over and over and over. And so he was saying, when you face Goliath, you gotta, you gotta have the faith that says it's a done deal. Goliath, you're going over. It's a done deal. And he kept using that phrase. And I was thinking, I... I want to have that kind of faith, but I don't know. Christians die. Pastors die. I don't want to go home and say, hey, kids, just have the kind of faith that says it's a done deal. And then watch me go into hospice and slowly die. That'll be more hurtful. But I want that kind of faith. What should I do? So I called my pastor. I got home and I said, I just heard this. Oh, burned inside my heart, but I, God, I don't know what to do. How do you have that kind of faith when you don't know? He says, why don't you ask? I said, <laughs> Oh, maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> so I, I closed the phone call like this. Lord, if it's your will to heal me, if it's a done deal, Lord, just let me know, and then I'll have the faith to just walk this through with you. Just let me know if it's a done deal. The next day, we go to UCSF. We go into the lobby. Needed to get to the fifth floor. My wife's here, me, the door's open. We go into the elevator. There's a woman standing in front of the control panels, all right? So she's in the way. We're behind her now. I say to her, can you hit five? And here's what she does. She turns around. I'm looking at the back of her head. Can you hit five? It's a done deal. It's a done deal. Okay, here's how I reacted. Like you. Like, what? <laughs> My first thought was, she's crazy. <laughs> because, who, who, what are you spinning around? Both hands up. Two, what's funny? Because the smile didn't match. Can you hit five? On the back of your head. I, I felt like somebody did some. Did I miss something? Because the, the brightness of her face was so happy. Like, you won the lottery. <laughs> you know? <laughs> By, what am I, the hundredth person in the elevator today? <laughs> you know, where the balloon's gonna come out? That, it didn't, nothing made sense about the spinning around. She doesn't turn back, and I'm just thinking, my mind's just reeling, uh, you know. And before God, I can only speak before God, the eyes. Her eyes went like this. <laughs> and my mind, it felt like somebody grabbed my mind and just put it on my it's a done deal, Lord, just tell me, and I'll have faith, right? That's all I could see, and as soon as that happened, no, she's still staring at me, right? And then I grab her little appendages, I grab her hands, and I go, oh, God, it's a done deal. Hi, I just, 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 
<laughs> and she's nodding. She's not, she's not reacting in a weird way that I would grab her hands. I'm grabbing her hands. I'm saying, you have no idea. And so I explained it like that. The doors have been open now. The fifth floor is here. <laughs> Barb says, honey, come on. It's time to go. Barb's words, first words, engraved in me forever. What happened in there? I don't want to sound corny, but it felt like electricity. I said, you have no idea. You have no idea. And we're walking to the specialist who's got my CAT scanned up like this, right, on the walls. So I'm trying to tell her, last night I prayed with Steve on the phone, and I said, because I didn't go to her and say, hey, be on the lookout for a done deal, you know? <laughs> I, just, I just said I prayed with Steve. What am I? I wasn't on the lookout for a done deal. I just kept using that phrase, right? And so, yeah, first of all, let's just talk about this. What are the odds of somebody, after the story, the next day, spinning around to this? Can you hit five? Can you hit five? It's a done deal. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> no, this is what you say. Sure. That's what you say. You don't turn your head. You say, sure, uh-huh, no problem. Or you hit it and say nothing. You don't spin around like somebody won a lottery and say, it's a done deal with your hands in the air. Oh, come on, I know that. She got off on the 13th floor, okay? There is no 13th floor. <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, you, hell, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who are inheriting salvation? I'm sorry to say it with my own lips, but I'm an heir. I am inheriting salvation. And she was took on the form. Well, that's my humble opinion. I can't explain it any other way. And so I get into the doctor's office, and here's what he says. Oh, 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 oh. He goes, I wish we could have met on nicer circumstances. I said, oh, it doesn't matter anything you just tell me. I just, I, I, whatever, what is it? Oh, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I already asked the one who knows everything, and he said, it's a done deal. You asked. You asked me. You prayed, and I told you. Twelve years later, guess what? No sign of cancer, no scar tissue, nothing. Because you know why? It was a done deal. Praise God. Now, just so much fun. God has had so much fun with that one little phrase. Oh, my word. He has worn that phrase out in my life, I'll tell you what. But when, you, when you're down and out, like I was, and even doing a hard time through the bone marrow transplant, it looked on several occasions like I could not make it through the treatment. I almost died in the treatment a couple times. And every single time when I'd be like, oh, no, then the nurse would say, hey, did you get that IV bag for me? She goes, how many times do I have to tell you it's a done deal? I'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So praise the Lord. Hey, give God some. Give God a chance to talk to you and be paying attention. He might want to encourage you today. You never know. He's that kind of guy. God. <laughs> All right, just when you thought it was over, he's got an application. He's going to say, therefore, and here it is. Just a, just a minute or two or three, maybe five. <laughs> Here's the end of the sermon from chapter one. We must pay more careful attention, therefore. Uh, therefore is there because of what, yeah, was there for. Uh, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, you Jews, you pretty much know this, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord himself in the flesh was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, just in case you needed to be convinced he was raising people from the dead, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what's the point he's saying? Is everybody paying attention? This is pretty important to pay attention. Now, this is kind of the first things we ever hear in life. In important matters, you need to pay attention, right? Hey, hey cars are dangerous. Dogs aren't always 
friendly, and uh, fire burns. Right? Pay attention, it's important. And if you don't pay attention in physical matters, you know, all things can go wrong. Don't pay attention on the road. What happens? The sound of breaking glass and twisting metal happens. Stop paying attention in your marriage. And soon you'll be paying high-priced attorney fees. So I hear. Stop paying attention at work leads to the unemployment line. And stop paying attention in the unemployment line and you're not going to get any benefits. But there's one thing to not pay attention in matters of practical, temporal things. And another in matters of your soul. Your soul. And just because you don't denounce Christ doesn't mean you can't drift away if you're not paying attention to the gospel, the truths, your life, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, how you're living. What did Paul tell Timothy? Watch your life. Watch your doctrine closely because by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers a whole lot of harm and pain. And so that's what he's asking. And he's just saying, here's what it, he's comparing again. He's saying, okay, you Jews, you remember the law and your, your fancy schmancy angels were involved. Now, we don't have a record in the Old Testament that the Ten Commandments came through the angels, but we do in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3 and Acts chapter 7, says that they were involved, they're messengers, they were involved helping Moses get the whole revelation of the law. So he's saying, you Jews who love angels, let's talk about them. The angels were involved giving the Ten Commandments. And what happened to people who broke the commandments? There was a just penalty, right? So he's saying, if you ignored Moses back when the revelation was dark and shadowy and incomplete, and you rebelled then, there was harsh consequences but what about ignoring the sun who appeared in full revelation and brightness of day? How about ignoring him and his commands and his gospel? How will you escape neglecting that? The word neglect there can mean to, to drift or to slip away or to ignore, I should say. It's really to ignore and we do that, we get distracted, we neglect, you know. Hey, neglect your toothache, neglect your taxes, it's an owie, but neglect your soul, really? You never pray, never, you never pray. You never have a quiet time, never. You never read the Bible, just never, pretty much never. You're neglecting what you have heard. And, and the thing about renouncing the Lord is one day, you know, it doesn't happen like that. You wake up, I renounce the Lord. No, what, is he, what does it say? You just slowly drift away because you're not paying attention. Pay attention. This is the son of God. And he says, you have no excuse because God came and he made it very clear to everybody. He said, the prophets are speaking Jesus is speaking with signs and wonders. The gospel is speaking. Creation is speaking. Romans 1 says by, uh, that God's eternal nature and power can be seen by what has been made, so men are without excuse. The Holy Spirit is speaking. In John 16, it says the Holy Spirit comes along every side of every human heart that was ever born to convict them of their sins and their need for a Savior. John 16. The Holy Spirit's speaking. The word of God is speaking. Creation is speaking. You look up in the night sky, it's speaking. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. How about your own conscience? Your own conscience is speaking. Hey, I better pay attention. Hey, this sounds important. Hey, your, your conscience is there. Unless, of course, it's seared. And how about Christian testimonies? Christians are speaking. Hey, man, I used to be a murderer. Now I'm a missionary. Somebody else says, hey, I used to be a prostitute. Now I'm serving the Lord, doing this wonderful work. You've met that. I've met those two. I've heard both of those testimonies a lot in 30 years. 
Christians are speaking, the church is speaking, the word of God is speaking, your conscience is speaking. Jesus spoke. His miracles were speaking. Therefore, let us pay attention so we don't drift away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are drifters so easily. I get so distracted all the time. I don't want to lose focus, Lord, and miss something, Lord, or get into trouble because we're distracted. So help us, Lord, something that we all struggle with. But may the smelling salts of your word just get into us and wake us up from our slumber so that Christ can shine on us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.